0: Five, four, three, two, one,
1: lift off. We have a liftoff. Here we go.
0: It's game time.
1: Quality base here. The Eagle
0: has landed. Welcome to Sports and More, where almost anything goes. Coming to you from the marsh just outside of Edmonton, Alberta. Here's your host,
1: Dean Millard. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for man. Nice
0: to be in orbit. It is indeed nice to be here and in orbit in this podcast universe. Welcome to Sports & More, Episode 9, everybody. This is Monday, July 15th, and um, really excited for you to join me on this episode. Really excited to talk to our guest, Sports & More. The title pretty much says it all. Uh, almost anything goes. Uh, we try to stay away from religion and politics. Might seep into sports a little bit but we try to stay away from that and uh, we talk uh, sports and pop culture and we're going to talk with uh, one of the biggest uh, sports personalities in Edmonton, Bob Stofford today. He is of course with the Oilers Radio Network. He's the color analyst during the games on the radio and Oilers now on 630 Chad from noon until 2 and a guy that I've known for a long time ever since I moved to Edmonton. He was a big part of me getting into radio uh, when I uh, eventually would leave uh, TV for radio. So Looking forward to the conversation of of bringing it to you. It's informative. It's fun. And uh, if you you listen to Bob, you know he can have some fun on the radio. Uh, So we're going to focus on that. Uh, We gave Jamie Thomas the week. I think he's still traveling. I I don't know if he's even made it back from Ontario with his family. So we're giving him a little bit of time off in uh, fantasy fun time. But we'll have the uh, Myron French question of the day. Our top three, best or worst, goalie geek out accompanied by Pele. John Candy characters. We're going SCTV again. Cool of the week and obscenely rich, our obscenely rich list, and we're going to break up the uh, Stoffer interview into two segments. Uh, So before we get into everything, uh, what a crazy week it was in sports. The uh, Tyler Skaggs tribute on Friday night with the L.A. Angels of Anaheim, or whatever the heck they're called now. It it was crazy how how much happened. Uh, You know, the Skaggs, unfortunately passed away recently um way too young and and by the way let's stop trying to speculate on on why and wait for the autopsy results and the investigation to conclude and and everything will come out at the end of the season but the Angels tr- paid tribute uh, to uh, Tyler Skaggs on Friday night everybody was wearing number 45 on the Jersey la scored seven runs in the first and had 13 hits overall 713 would have been Skaggs' 28th birthday, July 13th. The day Skaggs was born, July 13th, 1991, the last combined no-hitter in uh, California Angels history. Trout, as in Mike Trout, hit a 454-foot home run. Skaggs' numbers, 45. So that's 45-45 infinity. And he is the ultimate angel. He played for the Angels, and you cannot tell me. You can try to tell me, but I'm not going to believe you, that he wasn't helping some of those balls into the gloves, uh, to into the strike zone, and, and and some kind of divine intervention on that. Somebody was moving the pieces around to get that done. And, you know, if you listen to the Prospects baseball show where Jordan Blundell of the Ebonneur Prospects, he's the head coach, and, and I discuss baseball, we had Tanner Roundy on this week, and his one of his best friends was killed in uh, the shooting in Las Vegas on October of 2017. And the next day, he played because he wanted to uh, to, uh, to honor his friend. And in his 1st that at-bat, he hit a home run. And he hardly hits home runs, he said. And it was a pole home run. So there was something happening on that night too. Uh, you can't tell me. Brett Favre, on Monday Night Football, after his, his dad passes away, has one of the greatest games ever. Sometimes there is divine intervention now i don't believe in sports gods cheering for different teams but i believe in some kind of higher power uh, helping things along at different times so that was uh that was just a a chill inducing moment and obviously not a lot of dry eyes it was an iconic moment and just like what happened on uh, sunday morning uh, for us here in canada the wimbledon final between novak djokovic and roger federer almost five hours four hours and 57 minutes the longest final ever fifth title for djokovic who survived two match points in the fifth when federer was up 40 15 and serving the fifth set was almost uh, it was more than two hours it was just riveting entertainment and, you know, I I had a favorite tennis match, which was Agassi-Sampras 2001 quarterfinal of the U.S. Open. It was a Saturday night. I was living in Red Deer. All my buddies were going out, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to stay and watch this tennis match. And I'm so glad I did because it was one of the coolest things to ever watch live. That was my favorite tennis match of all time. Uh, this one has bumped it out. Uh, Michael Chang at the French, I believe it was, uh, underhand serving against Ivan Lendl. Got a couple of Everett and Avertilova, a couple of McEnroe-Connors matches in there. So... This is number 1. Yesterday's uh Sunday's final at Wimbledon is the best tennis match I have ever seen by two legends. That's the thing. Um it was incredible to see the fatigue setting in and they're still powering on. So uh, just be thankful that you were uh, you know if you're listening to this and you were at the game at the match live then congratulations. But even if you managed to watch it on TV. Remember where you were on this day because that is maybe the greatest tennis match that you will ever watch. And you know what was also great about the weekend was the Woody Harrelson and Kate Middleton, not together, um, reactions, especially during the women's final when Woody Harrelson was trying to get back in and the security guard wouldn't let him. And then they kept going back to him, and it was like, oh, my goodness. Uh, Like, Woody Harrelson blew up, and then Kate Middleton yesterday had some good Uh, reactions to some of the points between the Joker and feds so that was it was a lot of fun like I didn't think anything was going to be able to um, impress me more than Woody Harrelson on Saturday because that was a lot of fun it was really funny and then uh, Federer and Djokovic go out and just put on an absolute clinic in classic pinnacle grand slam moment it was uh, one of the best tennis moments that I think a lot of people are going to remember and uh the women's world cup wrapped up and congratulations to uh, the United States and they they had a, a impressive victory it, for me though it's unfortunate that it was overshadowed by the president's remarks about uh the team and you know go out and win first before you start talking about whether or not you want to come to the white house like Be- by the way Megan Rapinoe was just answering a question. she was, she didn't get out up on a pedestal and, and yell. she was answering a question and then the president uh, slaps back on Twitter and then they win And uh, you know athletes should be able to decide no matter who's in the White House if they want to go visit it or not. And then and then a lot of people are just disgusted by how the women are celebrating and partying and uh, you know drinking beers. Oh my goodness, Does anybody remember the Washington Capitals? The beer stands, they had to make a rule that said you cannot do beer stands on the Stanley Cup, cannot do keg stands on the Stanley Cup anymore. They partied like it was the last summer they were ever going to have. So don't, don't, don't sit there and say the Capitals were awesome and the American women are terrible. Let, let athletes celebrate. I don't think they're hurting anybody, and they're doing nothing, no worse in my opinion. From what I've seen, uh, I know there's a bunch of different videos going around, and I haven't seen them all. So, I, you know, but from what I've seen, they are doing nothing different than what the Washington Capitals did after they won the Stanley Cup. So uh, congratulations to uh, Novak Jovic and Red Roger Federer, and also to the Women's World Cup uh, champions. It was a, a pretty good week, an entertaining week in sports. And then, uh, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about it on the Prospects Baseball Show, but this time on Monday last week, Vlad Jr puts on an absolute k- clinic at the Home Run Derby. So, it's been a good time in sports and we're going to talk more about that in just one second. Hmm. What's on my mind today? <laughs> I don't know. You want answers? I don't know what the hell he wants. Let's get into things. Let's get real. This is the Myron French question of the day. I'll read you loud and clear. 10-4. Okay, so we're going with iconic sports moments and that you watched live. The Myron French question of the day. By the way, if you're new, Myron French was a teacher of mine in high school, a law class we took, and he would start every class with the Myron French question of, or with the question of the day. I don't think he ever actually used his name in third person, um, but he would start it with the question of the day. And sometimes it would last the whole class, and a lot of the times it was not even to do with what we were uh, taking in the class. It was just stimulating conversation, and that's what I want to get to here. And uh, you can participate in these in a bunch of different ways. On Twitter, get me at DuckMillard.com. On Instagram, at Sports & More Podcast, at Sports & More 35 on Facebook. You can email us, Pod at gmail.com. If you uh, just have a uh, question or think you'd like to be part of the show, uh, let me know. And you can check out our website, sportsandmore.ca. Uh, so on Twitter, I threw this out. What is the most iconic sports moment that you either watched live in person uh, or just watched on TV, because there's a lot of great iconic moments that we can't all get to. Uh, so a lot of people responded in on Twitter, and uh, Mark Dabbs, who by the way is the brother of uh, Kevin Dabbs, uh, who was on the show last week, awesome conversation with Dabbsy. He is the Metallica drummer. If you remember that video in the 90s that went crazy VHS of him air drumming to Sad But True for Metallica, he gave us the true story and a lot of fun last week on last week's show I highly recommend you checking it out but Mark Dabbs says lots of people will have this but uh, game 872 summit series grade 4 at West Grove School in Winnipeg the whole school jammed into the music auditorium and watched it on black and white TVs uh, awesome unfortunately a few years before i was born so i couldn't watch that a uh, Brad Slater at I Want a Donair uh, a buddy of mine says live at Telus Field on the Concourse i watched Donovan Bailey win gold in 96 never forget the call and 9. Hashtag Saturday night. Hashtag Georgia. That was the Atlanta Olympics. Norm in a combine says, I watched the 50 goals and 39 games on TV. It was an unreal moment. Hashtag 99, the great one. Hashtag never to be broke. That was where he scored five goals. I think uh, Don Cherry was on that call as well. Another guy says 50 and 39. Um, This one from uh, Cornwine and Oil says 2019 Wimbledon, which was just yesterday, and that's kind of, uh, one of the reasons we went with this question in 1980 Arnold Palmer winning the Canadian PGA championship at the Mayfair live with my dad Hashtag Arnie's army see that would be that's iconic watching um, You know that the Canadian Championship isn't a major, but you're watching a legend. So that's an iconic moment for sure Gretzky's 2000 point in Winnipeg from Dave Dawson at uh, Dave Dawson 7 very cool just uh One more reason why Gretzky and the Oilers tormented the Jets when I was growing up. And I was an Oilers fan at that point, so I liked it. This one says, Last two Indy 500s. Insane finishes. Insane live from uh, the CW. Uh, When we had the racing here, it was awesome. Um, I loved it, and uh, I would definitely travel to go watch uh, car racing. Uh, This says, Can we add listeners on radio as well? Because not all games were televised in the early 90s, so I will offer one for each medium. Radio Solani breaking the... Rookie goal record described by Kurt Kielbach on TV, and that was in Winnipeg. And Kurt Kielbach was a legendary Jets broadcaster. And then 1990 Grey Cup in person, uh, the Steagle uh, TD record in 2007 as or 2007 as well. That TD record, I was working at Global Television where uh, Steagle with the game-winning touchdown ran it back was awesome. Um, you know, I'm a bomber guy. I grew up in Winnipeg. I, I was an Eskimo fan as a kid with the Brian Kelly, uh, Warren Moon connection. But uh, when when uh, Stiegel ran the, that touchdown in, it was an incredible call. Uh, Chris Cuthbert with an incredible call. Uh, we used to play it all the time at global television, John Sexsmith and I. And the funny thing is our uh, sports editor uh, Fred Anderson, at the time our sports editor, massive Bomber fan. When you know, Manitoba guy like me. I think actually he was from, uh, uh, just might have been in uh, Ontario, uh, but uh, grew up a massive Bomber fan like me. Anyway, uh, his daughter was born that night, so I think he actually missed it live. One of the greatest moments, but a uh, better moment with your daughter uh, being born than watching Stiegel run that TD in. Um, this one says, in person, one of the great Super Bowls. Uh, And in soccer, when England beat Germany 5-1 in Munich with all the goals scored uh, by Liverpool FC players. And uh, there's a uh, picture there of uh, one of the Super Bowls. That's uh, pretty impressive. Duncan says, I was at UFC 196 in Vegas to witness Nate Diaz choke out Conor McGregor. Misha Tate choked out Holly Holm in the co-main event. That was uh, one of the bigger, bigger nights in UFC history for sure says, atmosphere in the arena was electric. I re- recommend catching a fight in Vegas. Cost me a fortune, though. Uh, the UFC is coming to Edmonton in a couple of weeks uh, right away. Uh, my family and I were at the game in Anaheim. It will go down as a really special memory for our family to be there. It was amazing. There was something special at work. You almost have to believe in angels when you see something like that. That's from Mike Moore19 on Twitter, who was at that. Uh, Tyler Skaggs tribute night and that's where I actually got the idea from watching that and such an iconic moment I thought what other events have we done Uh, Jamie Psalm says first heritage classic that was here in Edmonton and the Oilers started that then the league took it over the league was like oh wow these guys really made success obviously it was terribly cold and uh wasn't a lot of fun uh for the fans and uh Maria uh Egg Olson says, May 25th, 2014, Edmonton Oil Kings win the Memorial Cup. That was a big day. That was a, a pretty awesome day for the Oil Kings, and I know Guy Flaming and Corey Graham had a great call on TSN 1260. Um, I, I have a few. Ben Johnson in 88 and Donovan Bailey in 96. I remember watching them both, and they were awesome. The Blue Jays World Series, um, you know, iconic for our country. Uh, maybe not Major League Baseball, but it was the first time the World Series Flew north of the border. For me, the Canada Cup '87, and all three games were six-five, and I watched them, and they were awesome, and I still watch them to this day. To me, that was the greatest hockey ever, especially the game-winning goal. Uh, D- Dale Howerchuk wins the draw. Lemieux goes in, uses Larry Murphy as a decoy, or Gretzky goes in, loses, uses Larry Murphy as a decoy, and uh, sets up Lemieux. Um, I don't know how the Russians didn't read that. How do you know you've got Lemieux and Murphy? Who do you think is getting the puck? And still, they couldn't prevent it. So some of those things were great uh, live, and those were all on TV. I, I saw the uh, Eskimos win the 05 five Grey Cup. That was in overtime against Montreal. That was awesome. Uh, the Red Deer Rebels won the Memorial Cup two thousand one in Regina. It was. Uh, uh, pretty cool to be a part of that i don't know if those those don't uh, count as iconic and then the uh, the cool thing um the oilers 2006 cup run the game against san jose triple overtime sean horkoff gets the winner what i remember about that was chris pronger smoked ryan smith with a puck trying to clear it out i don't know if there was uh it didn't ever look like pronger ever was concerned Smith left to get all his dental work and came back and set up the winning goal. And, you know, the atmosphere and then Rexall Place was awesome. So that is the Myron French question of the day. What iconic sports moment did you watch either live in person or live on TV? Shoot me a note at Duck Millard on Twitter if you want to chime in. Three, two, one, and go. Time for your top three. Lift off and the clock has started. Roger, zero G and I feel fine. Beautiful, beautiful. So today on our top three, we're talking uh, the Edmonton Oilers specifically. And we know there is Connor McDavid, there is Leon Dreisaitl, and there's Ryan Nugent Hopkins. How do you fill the void of goals around them? Last year, Alex Chason was a giant surprise, while Tobias Reader was obviously a giant disappointment with no goals. So what happens this year? Uh, There are three spots up for grabs. And so my honorable mention is Sam Gagné in a pinch. If there's an injury, Sam Gagné can go up into the top six, but I do not think you are going to be good enough if Sam Gagné is regularly in your top six. Now, that leads me to my number three choice, Alex Chason. I don't think you're that good if Alex Chason is regularly in your top six unless he is playing specifically with Connor McDavid like he did last year and when he wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't as uh, successful. So for, for me, looking at what they have right now, unless there is a move made, I think Chason is going to start on the left side with Ryan Nugent Hopkins on the second line. Who's going to be beside him? This is maybe wishful thinking for me, but I'm hoping it's Jesse Pugliarvi. And Bob and I are going to talk about this in a little bit, but there is no better opportunity in the NHL for Jesse Pujarvi to either play with Connor McDavid, Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, or Leon Dreisaitl, possibly on a regular basis. There would be a spot if Pujarvi had a great summer, came in and had a great camp, mended fences, new GM, new head coach. Go for it. I think it's an opportunity that will be lost if he is not on the right side with Ryan Nugent-Hopkins on the second line. So that's what I would go, and and I think the uh, the other choice is fairly obvious. How they finished last year, I think they're going to give Zach Cassian an opportunity on the uh, right side with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Um It seemed to click, and Cassian, you know, obviously was uh, drafted. Um, you know, I think mid first round has some good hands. Obviously, is physical. Uh, as actually, I think he's pretty smart out there. Uh, you know, people thought he was just like a goon that would uh, run around and cross-check guys and obviously broke Sam Gagné's jaw that time. But I think he's got a pretty good hockey IQ. So uh, uh, my honorable mention is Gagné in a pinch if there's an injury. Chase on the left side with Nugent Hopkins on the second line. Pugliarvi on the right side with Nugent Hopkins on the second line and Cassian on the top line. Right winger with McDavid and Dreisaitl. And I threw this out on Twitter at Duck Millard. Uh, Daniel Jacques says, outside of the top three, it's ugly. Uh, Corn, wine, and oil, uh, who chimed in uh, earlier, said, for now, I'm not saying it's ideal, but according to the current roster, it's Drysaddle, McDavid, Cassian, Nugent, Hopkins, Gagne, Lucic, uh, Chason, Cave, Kara, Broziak, Jerko, Nygaard. And then he says, Polyarvi, who knows? Not even his agent knows, which is uh, true. Um, certainly, you cannot have Gagne and Lucic in your top six. Uh, that's just... Uh, not a possibility. Uh, Chase on, Cassian, and a combination of Granlund and Gagne, uh, possibly Benson at some time. And that's from uh, Marie Giacobo. And uh, Bob's going to chime in on Tyler Benson during the interview as well and brings up some good points. Uh, Nikita Gusev, and I'm like, how does one player fill with three spots? Uh, that was a uh, suggestion from uh, Patrick, NHL by Patty. Um, this one's from Dave's Not Here. It says, uh, Cassian, Chase on, and Granlin. Uh, And Dave's not here. If uh, if you like the uh, Cheech Chong movies where that uh, name comes from, uh, you will love the Cannabis 101 podcast. Uh, This one says a bunch of jerkos. That's pretty funny. Uh, It's got to be chase on playing too high and three of the ushers from section 102 from Sammy J football. Uh, By the way, at W underscore 82 was the a bunch of jerkos. That was pretty funny. Uh, And this is interesting. It says, um, after looking at this Oilers roster, maybe we should be taking a look at the 2020 draft class instead because there's another top five pick coming the Oilers' direction. And uh, somebody says uh, Bennett, Neal, and Froelich, book it. So that would be really interesting if something went down in that regard. So that, that again, is our top three. The uh, players you think the Oilers will fill out their top six with. And uh, again, I went with Gagne in a uh, pinch as my honorable mention, just filling in for injuries. Chase on, on the uh, left side with Nugent Hopkins. Puliarvi on the right side with Nugent Hopkins. And Cassian on the right side with McDavid and Drysyle. All right, I know you've been waiting for it. Let's bring in Bob Stoffer from the Oilers Radio Network and get to know him with the bio. time for the bio. Bob Stoffer grew up in Edmonton cheering on the Oilers and Eskimos and spent the dynasty years of the Oilers planting trees in northern Alberta and BC. Now he's the color analyst on the Oilers radio network as well as hosting Oilers Now on 630 Ched from noon till two Monday through Friday. In between he's called Golden Bears hockey games and took the University of Alberta's sports department to new level as well as hosting Total Sports on Team 1260 in the drive slot. With an encyclopedia-like mind and a great storytelling ability, Bob Stoffer is one of the most well-recognized and opinionated sports figures in Edmonton. Really excited to have uh, my guest in studio today. Uh, he's a man who actually helped me get on the radio. And I don't know if you remember this, it's Bob Stoffer who's joining us, but Bob, I don't know if you remember this, but I used to listen to you and spec on Mondays on what was team 1260. And I just called in one time cause I would play media hockey with you yeah. guys and started joking in are like, is this Dean? And I'm like, yeah, it is. And then you called me later and said, do you want to come on and we'll talk Mondays and, and it was my entry into radio and it allowed me when I left TV to have something to go to. So you're one of the guys that gave me a start on on radio on Mondays and I've uh, always been grateful, so I'm really happy that you're here today. Well, thanks for that, but
1: uh, yet another illustration of the numerous errors of judgment I've had (laughs) during the course (laughs) of my career. So, uh, you know what? Uh, You had passion for sport, right? And to me, that's the biggest key. Like, there's guys that want to they want to work in sport, but they don't love it, and you got to love it because you're never going to get rich doing it. So, you know, you gotta you gotta want to be a part of it. And I know a few years later. When Mark had requested to cut back after a you know personal challenge that he was going through, uh, we put together sort of the the total sports stream team, and I think we had you and Ryan Rashog on That's Mondays. Right. Um, we had Jonathan Huntington at one stage on, on Tuesdays. Uh, I'm trying to remember what day spec did. I know uh, my I know. wife
0: is a big fan of Jonathan Huntington's voice in particular, yes. because he has
1: one of the best broadcast. He has a voices. great voice. Actually, we had train wreck Tuesdays, which was, uh, Terry Ken, Ryan. Yeah. Terry Ryan and Ken Reed on uh, Tuesdays. Uh, we used Robin Brownlee once a week. We used, uh, I mean, this is going back now for me, you know, 11 years, but for four of the, for, for four of the first five years that we were on 1260, it was back of me. Um, it was my show and I sold it. And, uh, uh, and then as I mentioned, uh, in the fifth year, we, we split it up just because Mark had requested to, to take, uh, you know, to have fewer shows. So it, uh, you know what, it was a great opportunity to, uh, to cut your teeth. And there was lots of fun, uh, stories along the way and everybody has got somebody that's helped them along the way. Sure. And that's, you know, so Dean, I appreciate you saying that. Like for me, it was, uh, Bryn Griffiths, Marty Forbes, Carl Stark. Uh, Those were the guys. Carl was the sales guy. Marty was the overseer and a real good radio guy. And Bryn, Bryn could coach. Like, you know, he uh, is a guy. I mean, he's never going to be a guy that breaks a lot of stories, but he can coach. And he he gave tremendous direction in, in terms of how to improve the product. So... Let's have at it. Let's have some fun at it. It's old times. Yes, it
0: is. And uh, now, yeah. does this
1: mean I, I, I write a check to myself after <laughs> this appearance? <laughs> that, that's right. That's what
0: you're gonna do. I can pay you, but it's gonna be in monopoly money. Yeah, yeah, you don't no, have no, any no, 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 no. Like, yeah. So. <laughs>
1: well, that's but that was
0: the thing is you never were late on paying either, and that's one thing I think you pride yourself on is you, you spent a lot of money to bring in some talent, and me me excluded, but. You, you paid well and you paid on time. I, and my brother told me when I decided to go into broadcasting, he told me, you're not going to get rich. You're yep. going to live off craft dinner and hot dogs for the few years. You know, he got to a comfortable level yes. at, at that one point, but broadcasting is a passionate, you have to have passion first. Don't chase dollar bills because there are very few people in the industry yep. that make that high end money at the, the national level or, you know, at the local level uh, where you're doing really well as well. So it's a, it's a passion Project. Oh, job. it's
1: hundred. Like again, I go back to you. Got to love sport. And, of course. Uh, you know, I, I can. T- there's different guys that get driven differently and have different respective strengths. But you know, it's it's interesting watching the market. Like I'm an Edmonton guy, so you know, I grew up listening to Wes Montgomery, and uh, and Brian Hall and Rod Phillips. And I, I'll, I'll never forget this. In the late 1990s, Wes, I'd see Wes over at uh, uh, Moe's Sports Parlor. And he'd be like, don't worry, kid. It's going to happen for you. You have the talent. You have an unbelievable memory. He goes, you've got the voice. You've got the presence. At some point, you're going to get the chance. And I'm like, I don't know, man. And then you know, 1260 launched a sports station uh, in 2001. And I remember Wes again saying, it's going to happen for you. You're going to get the opportunity. Eventually, they're going to come around and call you. You're going to be the guy to go with. And I'll never forget uh, at the start... Of the 2003 2004 uh, season. Because what happened is we started by doing a hockey show for five months called Total Hockey. Uh, Bryn helped set that up, and that was from like February till the end of May of 2003. But the whole precipice of that, Dean, was to do a, a two hour show starting in the fall. And I remember like the third week of September, Spec and me were, now, Spec did an hour, I did like the two hours. And all these guys at Moe's stopped and when I went in on the Sunday morning to watch NFL, they all stopped and talked to me. And, uh, Wes just sat back and looked at me and was like, see, I told you. And I was kind of like, eh, Wes, every guy in this building knows who you are. There's six right, guys yeah. that know who I am, but it was a, it was an interesting sort of journey along the way.
0: Moe's is a, was a great place, uh, right out the back door of global television yes. where I was here for, for 10 years and, uh. Uh, I, I'm not going to lie. There was a few beers on the lunch breaks, uh, before we went back I did the 11 <laughs> o'clock news, not all the time, but See, uh, you could, you every could, once in a while, you could,
1: you could slide Caesars in, which were why Caesars were so popular. Yeah. Uh, uh, diets have changed. Restrictions have changed. Yeah. Uh, we're not as flippant. I, I bartended there in 1995, 96. I had more fun that year bartending. Sundays
0: uh, at that place were awesome. Yeah,
1: they were for NFL. It was and then mm-hmm. actually that that football season of '95, I worked from 9:30 in the morning until 12:30 at night, Jeez. straight through. Straight through. You couldn't even do that now. I don't. Even yeah, think, I think you're not allowed. I don't think you're allowed to do that. But that was my shift on Sundays. It Was basically a 15 hour shift. And I'll be honest, towards the the late game, like the six o'clock game, that's when I started drinking on Sunday nights. So. <laughs> so uh you know maybe maybe the uh you know they did I don't think they'd instituted measuring each ounce off yet, Dean, so there well, were a lot of pour. guys that got uh, Freeport a little bit more than they should have
0: I want to talk uh, in a little bit about your career progression because i it's it's a great I think it's a great story, and one thing you're really good at is storytelling. so we we'll, I want to get into that in a little bit, but let's dive into the Oilers, okay, and let's talk about this. Um, you know, you've seen this team um and and from a broadcast stand of point a uh, standpoint you've seen this team you know be uh great uh the 06 run and then there's been very little so what is different in your opinion about this regime compared to the many we've seen the last 10 12 years what what, what has you confidence bob, confident bob
1: i would say dean one of the things and I've not traveled yet with Ken Holland, and I think you get the six degrees of separation when you travel. Like, I'm on every flight, right? So that provides a unique perspective for me. Uh, Jack and Michaels and myself are the only guys that go on every trip because we call every game. Uh, the television guys split off, okay? Sometimes they're on the plane. Sometimes they're flying to meet us on the plane. Um And then the writers basically split the beat now between Rob Tichkowski and Jim Mathis, and the columnists come on some trip. Like Mark Spector works for Sportsnet, but he's never on our plane. And so to be honest with you, I don't 100% know totally what it's going to be like with Ken. I will say this. uh, I've heard that Ken is quite inclusive, that he wants lots of opinion, and he used the term grinder. And I think that the people that are successful in life are grinders. And uh, he also comes from a scouting background, so I can totally appreciate the questioning the fan base, given the fact that the team's missed the playoffs twelve of the last thirteen years. Um, I, th- I'm going into year twelve of, of doing the color, and have had a show for eleven of those twelve years, and we've you know we've gone from Kevin Lowe stepping away, Steve Tambolini, Craig Matavich, Peter Shirelli, and now Ken Holland. Clearly, Holland's got the best pedigree of all those guys. I think you would agree on that. But to be honest with you, I don't know. I I think it's... you know I I look at the moves that were made on July 1st, and I go, those were pragmatic moves. That's kind of what I would do. It's not sexy. Um,
0: Well, there wasn't a lot of choices uh, as far as money available.
1: Exactly, because the previous regime made some very suspect decisions. Um, I will tell you that Peter... Had a side to him that he did not show the media on a regular basis. Hmm. Okay, he can be uh, a really good, engaging guy, but he was distant when he was in Edmonton, and that was frustrating to a lot of people. I Uh, I will tell you, I
0: spoke to a scout who said the communication is awesome with Ken Holland. mm -hmm. Um, You know, he didn't say it was terrible. But he just highlighted that the communication has been really good. Oh, okay. In term, yeah. Oh yeah,
1: there's there's again, like Pete came from a little bit different world. Um and it was it was interesting because you know, we shouldn't have revisionist history. There was a lot of excitement in Edmonton when the combination of Shirelli and Todd McClellan came in together in twenty fifteen with Conor McDavid. If you had told me as we walked off the ice, like as the team walked off the ice and Game 7 against Anaheim in 2017, that the last two years would have happened, I would have said you were crazy. I mean, we had people, Frank Ceravelli from TSM, the Oilers are going to win the Stanley Cup right. in 20, at the start of the 2017-18 right. season. And then and then let's take it one step further. Even last year, if you had told me that Connor McDavid would have had a career high in points, that Leon Draisaitl would have scored 50 goals, that Nugent Hopkins would have had a career high in points, and that Darnell Nurse would have had a career high in points – and they missed the playoffs by 10 or 11 points. With two 100-point guys. Yeah, like you would have said, not a chance, <laughs> right? So uh, it has been, you know, it's been humbling, I think, to to watch and frustrating to watch, and I totally have empathy for the fans. But uh, in terms of Ken, like, yes, everything I've heard is that he's been all-inclusive. But for my personal interaction, I'm not going to know that until about November just because of the context of mm-hmm. the comfort level because – you don't want to be too pushy out of the gate when you're in a role like ours
0: well one thing i think fans ask for and have received is change and ken holland came in and he did make changes you know MacTee is now in the khl scott Housen is there and and uh, I, I think scott Housen is a very smart guy and i would i would keep him but there have been changes tyler wright uh, coming in and um you know him now i guess handling the uh the amateur draft along with Bob Green, but him heading it up. So there have been some changes made, and people said, we want a different voice, we want different people. Um, and this, this is what I always said. When Peter Chiarelli took over, I never understood why he kept the same, a lot of the same people that had kind of drove the ship into the ground, so to speak, uh, but Ken Holland is making some changes, which fans wanted. They wanted new people
1: with new voices, I you know it's interesting. I'd kind of counter that a bit, Dean, because I'd say to you that uh, when Pete came in, I remember on the Sunday before the draft, which was in Fort Lauderdale that year, he fired his head pro and head amateur scouts. So he fired Stu McGregor and okay, he yeah. fired he fired Maury guerra You're true. You're right. Right, yeah. like that. So uh, now did he was did, was Craig McTavish kept? Yes, he was. Um, the orders had a situation where they had. F- Three former NHL general managers on staff. I mean Kevin Lowe, who I think gets a bad rap in this community. But yeah, he did a lot of really he was he's been the best GM since there last okay. he's been
0: the best and now clarify for people, Kevin Lowe is
1: He's completely out of the hockey operations side. Thank Let's you. establish that right now. Thank but you. he you know, he was around in twenty fifteen. Shirelli didn't use him as a resource. Uh Housen and McTavish he definitely had more day day to day involvement. Uh, in fairness to MacT, I actually think that he, you know, a lot of and part of the, you know, and I had my moments with MacT. A lot of the media thought he was a great coach, and I said, no, he's just a good coach. And I'm going to ask you a question, Dean: How many other NHL head coaching opportunities Craig McTavish ever get? None. If he was a great coach, he, I think he would have. But he was also seen as an Oiler. I don't think he was as bad a general manager as everybody thinks. Like I look at, hey, he drafted Darnell Nurse, and he drafted. Uh, Leon Drysaddle, and those are two thirds of the Oilers' long-term leadership core. With Connor McDavid, he also the the trade that he made for Perron and getting the 16th overall pick that was a very uh, intelligent move at that stage. Um, Pete came in; he wanted to shake it up. I, you know, the the combination of the Reinhardt uh, trade and then the Hall trade. There's no way Kevin Lowe would have made the Hall trade. Look at what he got for Pronger. He got five pieces for Chris Pronger. That's a guy that wanted to trade. Taylor Hall didn't want to be traded, and Pete did a one-for-one. And, you know, um, I don't know how much Pete used. I'll never know that. Only Pete knows that. I bet you right now Peter's sitting there looking at this going, I squandered an opportunity there, right? We we could have been so much better. And I'm going to go back to 2017, like, Milan Lucic, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Jordan Eberle, and Benoit Pouliot—like those guys, basically the line at the close of the regular season off was Lucic with Nugent Hopkins and, and Eberle, and they had nothing going the first four games against Anaheim, and then they put Pouliot, moved Lucic to a different line. Those guys had zero even strength goals in a series that Edmonton lost three one goal games.
0: Like there's if, a difference right if there. The,
1: if if one of those guys, and of course the you know Pete got rid of two of those guys that summer. He bought out Pouliot, and he traded Jordan. So. I'm still kind of a little bit in shock and I have, Dean, I'll say this, I have total empathy for the fans. Mm I, I, you know, I get why there's it's, I wish it didn't have to come in on the text line every day in the show, but I totally understand why they're sitting there. But in terms of Holland, you know, I, I think we look at his overall track record and go, okay, you know, he's, he's accomplished a lot. He's got a great reputation around the league. He's well-liked. Uh, I, I think that he'll know how to subtly get things done, but in terms of my day-to-day dealings, I'm not going to know that until the middle of November. December.
0: Yeah. I think Ken Holland's work is still yet to be determined, uh, yeah. be really nice if he could lure Hawk and Anderson to the uh, Oilers organization. But I think, uh, you know, that guy has cemented his legacy as a Detroit and, yeah. and that's the guy for people that don't know. I believe he's actually a fisherman Yeah, he's and, a uh, guy. you know, he's the guy that found every late like Datsuk and sure. Zetterberg and a lot all of these Swedes. Yeah, all these guys, which now you can say he's a genius or you can say, why didn't you draft them earlier? It's all That's what scouts say is like, listen, I could say I'm a genius for drafting this guy in the seventh round. Everybody else is going to say, if he was that good, why didn't you draft him in the first round? And that's why scouting
1: isn't an exact science. How many conversations have you and me, I mean, you had the Pipeline show that yep. you used to do uh, with Gee Flaming. And, um, you know, Guy had access to Kevin Prendergast. And I was, did. Not, I was not a Kevin Prendergast guy. And I, I, I will say this, I think Kevin did some good things in other roles that he didn't get credit for. Like when he got promoted to assistant GM and he looked after. like they had nothing on the farm Mm -hmm. and he, you know, instead of being a terrible team, they built a slightly below average team, but that wasn't. And people say, well, that's KP's fault for drafting. I'm like, there's also the development side. And so it's, it's really interesting on drafting. I don't know how many times over the last, you know, since working with the orders and even before that, and I pushed, Kevin and Scott Housing for uh, Derek Dorsett and Chris Ru- Chris Russell back in like o five o six, I guarantee them those two guys would play because they'd go into your old stomping grounds in Red Deer and they wouldn't back down and mm-hmm. that's when Red Deer was really intimidating with Brent Sutter and so uh it you know it does it does kind of start there drafting and development I do think one thing you'll see is I don't think you'll see Ken Holland squander draft picks I yeah. think he's really reluctant to give up picks. And unfortunately for Peter, I mean, he threw in a third-round pick to dump Weidman and get back Petrovic, who played under 12 games as an oiler. Like, it just, it's those sort of moves that compounded and frustrate
0: people. Yeah, the Petrovic-Manning weekend or day or whatever it was. It was was a Sunday. Yeah, it was a dark day. I was in Red Deer, actually, and me and my buddies uh, were figuring it out. But anyway, that's... Going back in time, so let's move forward, and we talked about Ken Holland probably needing some time to really put yeah. a stamp on this team, but Dave Tippett is going to do that right away. So let's talk about Dave Tippett. How how do you think this team is going to look under Dave Tippett as compared to Todd McClellan and, and obviously Hitch down the stretch? What it's, do
1: you think he's going to do? Dean, it's interesting because I thought the team would have better structure and process under Hitch, and it didn't come to fruition. Like Analytically, the team was worse. Uh, Connor had his worst, you know, Corsi-Fenwick season as an Oiler. Um, and I wondered if there was a disconnect between maybe Hitch's philosophy and a guy like Trent Yanni's. I'm not sure. Um, but Todd's a good coach. Hitch is a good coach. And Tippett's a good coach. Uh, if I was a coach, I'd want to come into the Edmonton situation because it would only be one way but up. I think Tippett's got a pretty good it's, – it's interesting they kept Galdson. Because it gives them a little bit of continuity. And Coltson has, I believe, a good relationship with uh, Connor and Leon. I don't think Tippett's quite as defensive as everybody believes.
0: Look at the numbers. Every time he starts a new team, they almost have career highs in goals for Dallas, right. Arizona.
1: Yeah. Uh, he is a good communicator. Okay. And, you know, he was doing analytics bef- 15 years before Long time, guys man. were selling their wares in analytics. I'm intrigued to see what the combination of Holland and Tippett uh, can do. They're going to feel the same thing that Todd and Peter felt, which was, okay, we weren't here before. But that's not their fault, but that's still part of their problem with the fans, right? Like at the end of the day, it's still, there needs to be some progression. Um, I do think that there will be an upgrade in the roster at some stage. I'm just not sure when. Like I think there will be a move made uh, to add another forward somehow, some way, but it may not be until, you know, October or November. Uh, I'm gonna, be, but they gotta, they gotta get up and running. One thing he's gonna do is, he's gonna limit. He's gonna get down to like 26 to 28 guys right away in training camp. He's not gonna screw around, and I think that's important. Uh, that builds continuity, right? You gotta build continuity, you know. Um, and so I, I think. They want to get up and running as fast as possible and they know they got to get a good start. I, I got to say this, Dean, like I, you know, I know you're on the air when, you know, the day uh, Todd got fired and uh, like, we had a tough schedule to start of the season and the team was 9, 8, and one before, you know, the Oilers had a tough schedule and I mean, I was, I was on the road with them and um, he trades, Peter traded Ryan Strom who was very popular in the room and I, I know for a fact that some of the coaches didn't want to do that trade. And it was, you know. So that there right there is a disconnect. Yeah, and those guys were tight for a while. Pete and uh, Todd, they were tight. They sat next to each other on the plane. Uh, they had a lot of, like, you know what? When Hall got traded, Peter made the trade. But Todd did the exit interviews with the players as well. And they you have to give to get. Right And uh, and in Larson, I got back a guy that's a tremendous teammate. Sure. But they traded away a guy that was, you know, he's an all-star winger that won the league MVP. Yeah. So, I now, would he have won the league MVP in Edmonton? Never. But those, you know, again, one thing I'll say about Todd is, you know, hey, I was part of the decision-making process, and we thought maybe we needed something a little bit different. Like, that's, I don't want to put words in Todd's mouth, but... Pete and Todd were philosophically aligned, and I think out of the gate we'll see that Holland and Tippett will be philosophically aligned as well. Holland's in Detroit, his teams kind of play like the U of A Golden Bears that you and me used to do mm-hmm. some games on, right? They play that uh, puck pressure, quick, uh, like when Possession. Detroit, you know, that's kind of how Detroit played throughout the, mm-hmm. the 2000s. And I think the hope is to get the Oilers there under Tippett as well. It won't be easy because they've got some bigger bodies. You don't win with dump it out, dump it
0: in. You win with carry out, carry in, move yeah. the puck quickly, yeah. keep uh, possession. So let's dive quickly uh, a little bit into the roster. Our top three uh, topic this week is after McDavid, Drysdale, and Nugent Hopkins, who in your opinion fills out the top six? And there could be, you know, what I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing from the listeners, and you can tweet at me, at Duck Millard, is there's going to be a lot of different names from different people because there are a lot of there. There's options. I think Zach Cassian's going to be a name that comes up a lot, and then after that, it's kind of up in the air. What are you thinking for the rest of the top six when it comes to the Oilers? Because let's assume McDavid, Drysaddle are just going to stay together, and then Nugent Hopkins is going to center the, thir- well, the second Cheech, line.
1: Yeah, Lucic has had some success with Nugent Hopkins, okay. but there's no guarantee he's going to be here. Right. Let's let's face it. I mean. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the percentage is. I mean, it, it is a possibility he could still be moved. That that could happen. Uh, he could. It's also a strong possibility he could still be here. Maybe he gets some time on the left wing with Nugent Hopkins. They've had decent possession metrics. Chase on to me is not a true top six guy. The two wild cards are Nygaard and, and Haas. um Haas, was Sam Gagne. Yeah. See, I see him as a bottom
0: six. Me player. too. Me. T- thank you. Me too. Because. You know, we saw this with Ty Ratty in the preseason last year. I don't know uh, if, if listeners to your show were thinking yeah, that this oh yeah. guy was going to be a 70-point guy after his preseason. Yeah. We were getting those. This guy's a 70-point guy. It was it was ridiculous. But then we saw it with Sam Gagne, who had a little bit of success when he came back, of people like, oh, he's a top six. And I said, no, he's going to be a really serviceable guy. But in your bottom six.
1: Well, he's got a great attitude now. He appreciates the opportunity totally. that he's got. He had the, the year a Good in Colum- room guy, right? Yeah. I think he had 18 goals and 50 points in Columbus, and that was as a fourth-line player and a power play specialist. Power play, yeah. So uh, I, I do not see Sam in the top six on a consistent basis. I'm going to give you a wild card. Now, it depends on if there's a move at some stage, but there is one guy that's got a chance, I think, to – and it's not on the right side. It's on the left wing. And I, I think Tyler Benson has a chance to make the team.
0: In the top six?
1: Yeah, Potentially as a second-line left wing. Just because he can think and process his way around the game. He's a really good passer. Uh, he's worked industri- industriously to improve his footwork. He almost had it taken away from him, which I think has yeah. driven him even more. You know, he had uh, the whole health issues. Uh, tailbone situation you know, and, and stuff, and, yeah. Cis removed and he mm-hmm. couldn't train and all that stuff it's put it this way he could end up in playing 40 games I think by the end of the year he's in Edmonton okay he, he might Dean I think that Benson could theoretically play 35 40 games for Bakersfield or he could be like he's the guy to me that's the biggest wild card of all of their guys because I mean Grandlin's going to be a bottom six guy mm-hmm. and care is a bottom six guy. Uh, Nygaard probably a bottom six guy he is fast Haas I think Haas is going to make the team Okay. Um, you know he's probably going to be no higher than the third line center out of the gate uh, Chase on, probably in a perfect world is in your bottom six might mm-hmm. see some time in the top six but it's, hey, it's, it's a concern right that yeah. is, is the lack of you know, we'll see. I, You know, I know Jason Greger wrote a piece on Oiters Nation about the lack of scoring in the bottom six and that the Oiters read it all the time, and they, they shot like 5 or 6%. Well, obviously, Reed are not scoring on 80 shots. Right, yeah. like they got to find a way to have like eight guys with 8 to 12 goals. Yeah, you're right. Right, they do. Because I don't think you can count on 90 goals again for McDavid and Dreisaitl. So you're going to have to get some other production. But I do think at some point there will be a different top six guy that gets out of it.
0: Benson is interesting, and, and I threw it out on Twitter saying, you know, I, I there's there's some excitement for Tyler Benson, but he's barely a pro, and he's finally healthy. And I th- I said I would love to see him one more year in the AHL. And I got, like, you know, there was some support. There was some disagreement. There was some ridiculous troll that, like, said I should get fired. And I'm like, dude, you're eight weeks late with this one, man. I yeah. already got fired. Yeah. Um, and, and he got a lot back in return thanks to uh, you know, Twitter Faithful, uh, you know, kinda of set him straight. Because I think this on a side tangent, Twitter is a great place to debate. Once you go get personal or belligerent, that's when I block you. But anyway, back to Benson. Are you worried that he's just like he's like I said, he had that great final yeah. year in WHL in Vancouver where he was healthy? Really good first year. Do you think he's you know, physically ready after missing so much time to be an NHL player? Well,
1: he's strong for his size. Um I think it's fair for the people that say no, it's way too premature. Like, how could you? Po-? I'm just saying. I think he has. But a ch- you
0: might be. Ha- you might be right coming up ha- halfway through. He
1: has a chance to sneak in the mix in the top six. I haven't mentioned Pulleyarby. I mean, well, he's on our
0: notes. Don't worry.
1: Like that's the one that just.
0: If he was here, do you think he would be a top six? No possibility. Third line right wing. Yeah, and then maybe as the season goes on, yeah. he gets elevated,
1: and that might be the same for Benson. True. Yeah. Right. Okay, so poliarvi
0: this is a situation where if I'm him and his agent, I know they're frustrated, but where else are you going to get the opportunity he might have? There's a massive shortage of wingers. You've got a new regime, clean slate. This is his best opportunity to actually get a reset in Edmonton.
1: 100%. So why aren't they going? I don't on? know. Yeah. What does that tell you about the situation here? It uh, tells me it's fractured. I think... It, it's a tricky one, right? Because, like, I work for the Otters Entertainment Group, and, you know, people, here's here's what I find interesting. People are like, well, you guys wrecked Yakupov's career. Well, Yakupov played a factor in his career, and you're wrecking Paul Yarby's career. And I, I go by the 75-25 rule, 75% on the, on the player, 25% on situational. It might be more than that with Edmonton, like with, with Paul Yarby. Maybe it's 40%. It's still inherently upon him right to, to get it done um I I know that when he got limited opportunities on the first unit power play team he was in the wrong spots and I know you played goal and I played out I could tell in 15 seconds who had played and who hadn't played okay and it was it's usually how hard guys passed, how quickly they made the decisions to pass right? And I mean, we, we played against each other, you know, and, uh, um uh, I was, I probably squandered opportunities at 15, 16 to have played at a higher level, but I could tell when I'd go out and skate with guys, 19, 20, 21, um, you know, we used to go out there to the old, whatever that stinky arena was out in Winterburn and all the, all the junior guys <laughs> would be there and they'd be like, what are you doing? Like you know, are you not playing? And I'm like, but you could tell. And the thing that when you watch Paul Arvey, is he's got no read and react game with anybody. And that is concerning. And I just wonder how much of it is stubbornness on his part. Uh, The other thing I'm going to tell you right now, and I've had players tell me this that would understand his language. He understands more than people realize he Mm. understands. So um, I think there's some stubborn and obstinance on his part. I think the agent's a little bit exasperated. This was a special player. But, you, you know, anything's salvageable. That's the other thing in life. Like, you, you know what? You, people, Zach Cassian asked for a trade. He did. It wasn't going any. There's the one, you know, people say, well, Leon settled dramatically improved under Ken Hitchcock. I don't buy that. I, I, I'm sorry. Leon was already there for Todd as well. Zach Cassian is the one player that dramatically improved under Ken Hitchcock. Ken threw him up there, gave him an opportunity. And you know what? Zach Cassian looked like a former first round draft joy, a middle first round pick, which he was with Buffalo, where you said this guy might be able to be a middle six forward and give you something, because he certainly proved that. So there's a great illustration. If he could do it, why couldn't Pulliarby? And if I was Marcus Leto, um, you tried to you tried to squeeze Ken Holland before the draft, it backfired. Might have to do a mea culpa.
0: Yeah, I I think so. I I spoke to somebody over the weekend, and I was at that 2015 World Junior where Pugliarvi was really good, and McDavid was there too. And there was this talk of Pugliarvi being this guy, and he was bigger and stronger than a lot of guys growing up. And then, you know, Patrick Lyonnais kind of passed him a little bit, and there is some thought that, you know, maybe Pugliarvi peaked or something like that, or, or was just a lot bigger and stronger at those young ages, but there's no reason why he still can't have a serviceable career. Maybe he's not going to score 44 goals like Patrick Lightning. Well, he's not, but you know, there's no reason he still can't have a serviceable NHL career under the right tutelage.
1: I brought up the name Blake Wheeler and it seems dubious now because of how bad, like people got to realize in 17, 18, in the first 21 games after yes, I got recalled, he had nine goals in 21 games. We have a broadcaster's meeting. You know this because you work in the business separate to the coach's availability. Sure. So, you know, coach does it with all the media. Then afterwards, the the right holders, TV and radio meet with the, the head coach. I don't know how many times we talked about Pulley Army, And I, I just kept on saying with Todd, like, we we have to keep the traction going with this guy. Like, and it got off the rails in the back. People forget. But he had nine goals in 21 games upon his recall. He has seven goals in his last 90 games. Since then, so he's obviously lost a bit. There's something there, and uh, again, we'll see what Holland decides to do here. Some people might say, you know, you got Hall, you've got Paul Yarby, you've got Lucic, you got a new regime coming in. Find ways to extricate yourself from from those scenarios, and you know, Lucic has obviously stated, you know, talked about playing in Vancouver, and Paul Yarby's, clearly his camp is open to a change as well. So we're not insulting him by saying that, but. It's going to be interesting to see how things play out here over the next few weeks.
0: So that brings me to the next name that you mentioned, Milan Lucic. Eric Tehachic just wrote an article for The Athletic about a possible Lucic for James Neal uh, fit. Is there, you know, obviously it's not working with Vancouver, with Ferland going there, but is is uh are you,
1: a, are you sure it doesn't work in vancouver
0: well are they going to bring in two guys like that at, at that you know they are yeah. going to bring in a guy at six million to do a job they're paying furland to do so it, i i don't know maybe maybe you know something i don't but do you think Logic, there's a fit
1: well okay so a couple things here i think it's you know milan could easily come back to edmonton i don't know if he's going to be the milan that was a 20 goal 50 point 100 penalty minute guy right i don't know if he'll be that player again uh, I know there's reports out there that Erickson wouldn't come to Edmonton. Uh, I'm told that point blank is false. Okay, okay? he's played for Tippett before. Uh, I think he'd be open for a change. Um, you know, the Canucks. Ferland is legitimately tough. I know you got your branded connections and you know all about them. And but I, I still think that's a possibility. As I actually think that. Well, I think. Both Vancouver and Calgary theoretically could be possibilities. With Calgary, the only thing I'd say with Brad Traylor, he's got a lot on his plate. He's got to get Kachuk signed. He's got four restricted free agents. He's got Kachuk. He's got to get done. He's got to get his number one goalie, David Riddick, done. Let's say he gets Kachuk done seven and a half times five. Then he's got to get Riddick done. Let's say he gets him at 3.2 times two. Uh, Then he's got Sam Bennett.
0: That's going to be an interesting negotiation.
1: Like To me, Sam Bennett should get roughly what Furland got three and a half times four. Yeah. Sam Bennett, in the last two playoff years for Calgary, has been their best forward. You're right. Um, and then he's got Magia Pani, who's a very underrated player, who might be able to take a step forward like a LeBanc or even a Marcia Show. Like, I'm serious about that. In you, the Le, right situation. LeBanc? He was always a bit of an oiler killer, wasn't he? Oh, yeah.
0: Like he Unfortunately, Dean, there's, there's the been oiler. too many oiler killers. <laughs> yeah. over. So. But yeah. back
1: to Lucic. i uh, Like, with Trey Living's got a lot on his plate, I don't know if he can go to Murray Edwards and say, look, we're a year in on Neil. We need to flip him for Lucic. But I know this in Calgary. They felt they got pushed around in the playoffs. And, you know, if it, and I don't know what happened. with Like, Neil had a horrendous year. I think he's more likely to bounce back as a goal scorer. I mean, he's one year removed from being an 11-time 20-goal scorer. Lucic is two years removed now from being a 20-goal scorer. So... Well, the thing with Neil I re- in that article from
0: Dehachik that I found interesting is he came to Calgary off going to the Stanley Cup final. So he had a shorter yes. summer. Uh, he's working out with Gary Roberts now, yes. and he's really getting into it. And, and Listen, um, I think Milan Lucic at times can be powerful. And I, I certainly wouldn't want to face him in a Flames uniform if I was an oiler after you just traded him in the, in the Battle of Alberta. But James um uh, the one thing he can do is shoot and, and yeah, has proven that he can score. a completely different dimension. So you bring James Neal into the Oilers, and he's not playing on the fourth line, uh, I don't think, where Milan they Lucic is. They had him outside
1: of the top six yeah. in Calgary.
0: So you bring him in here, it's a different dimension than what Milan Lucic can do here. And l- likewise,
1: Lucic goes down, and like you said, maybe there's not as many liberties taken. Well, Johnny Goodrow isn't getting slashed across the wrist as much. Uh, James Neal has a real strong personality. Bill Peters has a real strong personality, and Bill got a lot of success early in Calgary, and James didn't have it. So you can see somehow, t- sometimes mm-hmm. how r- relationships get fractured there.
0: Uh, Neil and uh, Mike Smith also have a uh, very good, good relationship. relationship. By the way, Elliot Friedman
1: was putting this out two months ago. Do ha- oh, I, sorry, I didn't. Re- I, no, no I didn't but you see know that. what's interesting, Dean, is that Duhachek. We know Duhachek's tapped into both the general managers of sure. these two respective organizations. Yeah, so, I did not realize so. Yeah, no, like to, uh, like, to like two months then. ago you eat. Yeah.
0: Okay, so that brings up Mike Smith and uh, now Miko Koskinen, and um, you know I don't know what it was like on your show the day Miko Koskinen uh, they signed that contract, but uh, on, on the station I worked at it was which so, one so crazy the
1: first one for two point five totally unproven or the one for four point five well, times three
0: the first one we were totally shocked and uh, not uh, at yeah. all excited about during the preseason, but when he gets the extension. Um, it was a it was a big shocker, but now you bring in Mike Smith, and this is how I see it. And you would have a little bit more knowledge to this, but they're stuck with Miko Koskinen right now. We're not stuck, but they have him signed. So you say to Miko Koskinen, this is your chance to take the ball, but this guy is going to try and take it away from you. So there's a chance if Mike Smith plays really well, he plays more games than Miko Koskinen this year. I think it's really going to be open for competition.
1: I think you're 100 percent right. It's going to be open for competition. Uh, I think Miko. Any quarter fan shouldn't be too quick to judge what Miko was late in the year. He was worn down. He even when he played in Saint Petersburg, he never. He never started that many games in a row. It was always a split, mm-hmm. right? And basically, what happened is the kid they picked up from Philadelphia, Starett. Right? No, not no, not Starett. Starett was down. On oh, one. not Starett. Um, Anthony uh, Stolars. Sorry, Stolars. Stolars. Yeah. yeah, he was never healthy. Okay, he had had some knee issues. Uh, by the way, Anaheim ended up signing him to a deal. Um, anyways, so they had they had no choice but to go with Koski game after game after game. Miko, Miko is a really good guy. Uh, I have one pet peeve with goaltenders: Dean uh, don't ever show up the, the players on the ice. Okay, I can't. I loved it when we'd skate out of media hockey and you'd play a goal. <laughs> and at the end, we do we do showdown, and yeah. you were super competitive and. But you were fun about it, right? Yeah. And you knew that there were guys, like the range of talent. You had guys that, you know, were, you know, played midget double A hockey, and then you had other guys that could not skate at all. And yeah. you never yelled or fired a puck at a guy that was completely terrible after maybe. directly. Right. Man. I'm not right. a coach. Yeah. If you're paying to play, that's all you need. To, <laughs> that's right. Right. Yeah. But. But I, I, I with Miko, he's a good teammate, and he works really hard. Like he could. So, so he hasn't done that. What is what you're saying? No, no. Like you, he's you a like, good teammate. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I like him. And the other thing is, if Poliarmi isn't here, that might help him because I think he felt not oh, a father, okay. not a fatherly sort of, but a mentor a bit. Yeah, like I'll tell you, Brzgalov, uh, not Brzgalov, um, Habibulin, with Yakupov a bit. Okay, just the one year, I think you know, just, and, and actually, um uh, happy in a bit with Polyar or, uh, pay RV, Magnus pay as well. was sort of just cause they sort of had that European. I, I, I gotta be sure my years here are definitely with PRV. And I thought for a year, maybe, maybe the last year of the deal, I don't know, uh, with, with Habibu. Bottom line here is, um, I'm not ready to write off. Miko Kosk. And I think, you know what? I think, we could have a healthy competition and if one guy's in the 908 to 912 and another guy's 918 to Mm -hmm. 922 I think they get in and I do think in the west you got to have two guys you got to have two different goaltenders Mike Smith is really athletic like he's he's got a a elite athleticism um he had a tough back half last year Riddick wrestled the job away from him and some people say he's at the age where goaltenders completely fall off Try telling Dwayne and that, mm-hmm. but Dwayne Rollison didn't have the body of work that didn't have the him. miles, yeah. he didn't have the miles. So we'll see. But but I mean, you know, goal like you know, you know, you've always known goalies. Uh, to me, they're a little bit like voodoo, but the one thing I will say is don't necessarily, I don't think you need to have Carey Price, like, you don't need to spend $10 million on a goaltender. The Oeders, I'm on my little uh, flip card here, I've assigned a $3 million. Uh, fee uh to Mike Smith. So I'm gonna assume that he's, he's going gonna to make, get those bonuses. He'll get those bonuses. But it's just one year, right? Yeah You're, it's so and, uh, and we'll see where it goes. Uh and obviously having the prior connection with Tippett should help him.
0: Okay, so we talked about Tyler Benson a little bit. Um I, I are you putting Evan Bouchard on this uh Oilers roster this year automatically and no. and let's dive into you know who's coming from from Bakersfield a little bit. So so who do you see uh rookies possibly making an impact so we talked a little bit about benson yeah uh but you know bouchard um, uh, different guys that you're looking at
1: down in bakersfield okay well we'll start it forward uh i think benson has the best chance to crack the opening day lineup of any of the guys down there uh marody dean i'm a little concerned on his foot speed now if he has a strong off season like he he protects the puck well and he's a big guy and he's creative uh not a big guy but he's he's he, he can protect the puck um, body composition for me had to change a bit, like to to play at the NHL level. Uh, so he's, you know, I'm, I'm going to be intrigued to see how good of an offseason. I know Benson's going to put the work in. Okay, He didn't miss one session last year in the offseason. Him and Keegan Lowe did not miss one on-ice session. Well, in we, we saw
0: how hard Keegan Lowe worked Keegan, covering Keegan the Oil
1: Kings. He should have gotten more. Uh, that's, that's why trading for Manning and trading for... Petrovic, they're only marginally better players than Lowe and Stanton. It made no sense mm-hmm. to give up the assets that the Oilers did to, to make those deals. Um, anyways, up front, uh, Yamamoto, for me, not a chance. He's going to be in the minors to start did. the year. He's, you know, he's coming off an, er, an injury he's, uh, and wrist surgery. He needs to play. Marodi, very outside chance. Uh, and I also think you know because Gaitan Haas has come in, he's older, he's quicker. I think that benefits Haas. Benson has a chance. Um of the older guys, I think Garam is the number thirteen, fourteen NHL forward, but he's smart. And then the other guy That's really hard too. Yeah, the other guy that actually can skate that might be able to play as a fourth line right wing is Russell. Um I get the sense that's the type of player that has succeeded for Dave Tippett before. Sort of, you know, that six hundred to six hundred and fifty thousand dollar guy. Mm-hmm. He can kill penalty, he can skate. Um He's you know he's never going to be a top six guy, but you know he finishes so there's a range there, right? You've got the younger guys like I you know I can tell you for my 2021, so I do a, a index cards for three years at a time, and for 2021, uh, I've got Benson in on the top nine on the left side and Yamamoto in on the top nine on the right side. They have to have those guys progress. I think they'll both be up at some point next year, but I think Benson's the guy that's got the better chance out of the gate. Um, and then of the older guys, they've got that whole... The other guy I really want to watch is McLeod. Okay. Well, he had such a great training camp C- last year, right? Because he can skate, but I think he needs a full year. Good in, size, too. Yeah, he's yeah. He just, he's just he got to get a little bit more in the guts of the game. And then I've got the you know the Malone, Gambardella, Russell line. And we haven't even mentioned Curry. Like those guys are all mid-20ish. Malone's obviously a little bit older. But if those guys are your 16, 17, 18 forward... Mm-hmm. You, you've got some depth in your organization. So of the forwards, you know, I see Benson here. I did not see Yamamoto here. I think McLeod and Yamamoto start the years in the minors. Marodi, very outside chance. Defensively, I think Jones is going to be on the team, and I think Legison is going to push hard. I've loved him. I, I, yeah. I, You know, I will go back
0: to that 2015 World Juniors uh, where he was there with uh, Sweden, and he is... Um, I, I look at him as... Uh, uh, just a maybe a nastier Adam Larson because he can get nasty in front yeah. of the net and he's not afraid and he's strong.
1: Well, the orders have to transition some of those guys in, Dean. Like they gotta, like I think Person's gonna start in Edmonton on okay. the okay on the right side. Like I think he's gonna be in the mix and, and in the top six. I think Jones will be in the top six. Well, let's see. Person will be here at six seven. Jones I think will play in the top six. So I'm gonna go clefbaum Larson. And then we're going to go Nurse and Russell to start, mm-hmm. and then uh, Jones and Benny. So no Bouchard for you. No Bouchard. Bouchard's in the minors to start the year. No Samarukov. He's in the minors. It's, it's interesting. Uh, I put uh, a top ten list of pros. This is the best the Oilers have had. Prospects. You, you know this. I don't have to tell you this. You know this. Like in the last fifteen years, mm-hmm. this is as deep as they've been. And yeah. I, I mean they're really deep on defense. And I had uh, Broberg second, and I had somebody say to me. Sam Rukov second, not Broberg. That's how much guys think of Sam Rukov, But
0: but it'll be so nice for those guys to go get down and they play. Gotta, like you know, Darnell Nurse was down and then up, right? And and he's developed. I think it's worked. But it'd be nice to be able to let those guys percolate. soak it up a little bit. Yeah, no to kidding. Paraphrase Ken Hall. Yeah,
1: I don't think I I, I and I'll, I'm going to tell you this right now. I've got in 2020, 2021, 2020, 2021. I've got Bouchard on the Oilers team. I think, but I think he's going to play. Virtually two thirds of the year minimum in the minors this year, but I, I got Jones being the one young guy that's in the top six, and then I could see Person one million dollars on a one way, and Laguson, you know those guys being a seven eight. They might what they might do is they might go 18 and thirteen forwards. It was the best of times. Yes. Yes. It was the worst of times. This is best or worst. All
0: right, we're going to get back to that uh, interesting conversation with Bob Stoffer in a second. We're going to uh, dive into um, his rise in career uh, to having a really, really amazing media career and we'll have some fun with that one as well. But right now, best or worst, uh, basically I just give you a, a best or worst, uh, situation in my life, uh, from the past. And today I'm going with the best health decision I have ever made. And that was quitting cigarettes, getting rid of, uh, the smokes as we used to call them, Uh, you know, I started when I was 15, I tried to quit several times and, uh obviously it didn't work out but then came a bet with a buddy after a uh, party ski trip to Jasper it was just the two of us me and him and uh, he was going with uh, only wine in the shrine and that was his his thing that year was he was only going to drink wine which you're not going to have a lot of time like this i love wine i'm not saying not to drink wine but don't try to drink wine at the same rate as your buddy is drinking rum and Diet Cokes because that is not going to lead to good things. So the only wine in the shrine led him to challenge me that he could quit drinking longer than I could quit smoking cigarettes. Um, he did not have a good night uh, with only wine in the shrine. Um, uh, the elk are safe now, I will, I will just say that, um, and he had a, a really bad hangover. So anyway... On the way home, it was like uh, you can't quit smoke because I was telling him like you're you're uh, he was really hungover. I'm like, oh my god, are you gonna take another break? Because he kind of took breaks every once in a while, which I think is healthy. Anyway, he's like, I am going to challenge you that I could quit drinking longer than you could uh, quit smoking. And uh, by the way, uh, this individual, uh, I don't even know. I don't think they drink anymore, and uh, they just finally gave it up because uh, for some people, it's just uh, not worth the. the literal headache that it comes from. But anyway, congratulations to them because they made a good health decision for them. Uh, so the bet was that, uh, I couldn't smoke and I couldn't drink and he couldn't smoke and he couldn't smoke weed, but I was allowed to smoke weed for some reason that deal was made. And it gave me advice. So that was the bet. I couldn't smoke cigarettes and drink. He couldn't drink or smoke weed, uh, but he could smoke cigarettes if he wanted to, and I could smoke weed. So why the hell would anybody who doesn't smoke cigarettes want to smoke weed or sm- cigarettes want to smoke them? Um, but, uh, you know, I was, uh, I partaked in the weed, and I certainly do it now. So anyway, I'm not sure how it worked out, but I came away with that deal happy. The loser of the bet had to wear a bikini at our annual camping trip that summer. We would go, uh, a bunch of us, um, go to uh, a nice camping area in BC. Usually we would go and uh, you had to walk around with a bikini and a dress uh, during the uh, camp day. So that was, um, you know, none of us uh, wanted to have to do that. And um, there was some incentive and it was interesting. At one point, a bunch of us were all hanging out watching the start of the playoffs. And while I couldn't drink, I could go outside and smoke a J. He couldn't drink or get high. And it was really wearing on him. Neither of us wanted to give in. He wanted to call it off. I didn't, uh, we had pride. It led to some angry hang-ups during, uh, phone calls. Uh, so after about six months, I was driving home after playing uh, Wolf Creek golf resort, about 26, 27 degrees. And I really was craving a cold beer when I got home. So I finally gave in and we allowed the bet to be called off. There was no loser. Uh, nobody was going to have to be on the beach that summer at our uh, camping trip, but, uh, it was, uh, neither of us lost. Um, I really won because I haven't had a cigarette since January 28th, 2006. Uh, So a big thanks to my buddy who made the bet, helped me quit smoking. And that is uh, the best health decision I have ever made. This is uh, Goalie Geek Out, accompanied by Pele. Uh, basically, uh, you're hearing the music of Sweet Bejesus. Uh, this is uh, Christian Gutzis and Kevin Dabbs. Check them out on Apple Music. And this is a song about Pele Lindbergh, uh, the great goaltender and uh, how, unfortunately, he was taken too soon. And uh, the goalie that uh, actually you know, kind of took over the reins from Pele Lindbergh in Philadelphia when he passed away is the guy I'm going with today that I love. And I go with a goalie I loved growing up, and maybe one I wasn't so uh, fond of, and it's Ron Hextall the goalie I loved. And it's going to be interesting, and I'm going to tell you why I didn't like uh, Mike Vernon, the other guy, and the second, and it's because he played against the Oilers. So did Ron Hextall, especially in uh, 1987, when he won the Conn Smythe, losing in games in seven games. But Ron Hextall was also a former weak king. I grew up in Brandon, so he was okay in my books. Now, I still wanted the Oilers to win, uh, my oldest brother, Derek, is a massive Flyers fan. Uh, and so it was interesting in our household in uh, in the uh, er, mid-80s when the Oilers and Flyers were doing battle. But I loved Ron Hextall's battle, his tenacity, his uh, ferocity, and he was a good goalie as well. And I thought he did a pretty good job as a GM. And so now Mike Vernon, why did I not like him? It's simple. He was a flame. That's it. I was a massive Oilers fan. Andy Moog was my favorite goalie. And why did I like Ron Hextel and not like Mike Vernon? Well, A, the Calgary Flames were the main rival of the Oilers. They, the Flyers, they would play them in the Stanley Cup Final, but year after year after year, those Battle of Albertas were great. And Mike Vernon wasn't a weak king. That's as uh, you know as simple as the uh, 10, 12, 13-year-old Dean Millard thought. That, that was my brain. Flame, don't like you. Flyer, I'll accept you because you're a former weak king. So that's it. Goalie geek out. Accompanied by Pele, uh, featuring uh, Ron Hextel as a goalie I love. Mike Vernon, not so much.
1: The best on the pond. So all the angels came to see.
0: Harry's Discount Sex Shop. We're at the corner of libido and cleavage. Kidding, first of May, come down, see me, ask for Harry, I'm the guy with a snake on his face. I love you.
1: From SCTV to the big screen. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) John Candy was a comedic
0: legend. Buck melanoma, Molly Russell's wart. Oh, oh, that feels good. Oh God, I'm telling you. My dogs are barking today. We now celebrate another
1: great John Candy character.
0: I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me. Because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. So, today on uh, John Candy Characters, we are going with Mr. Bigsby. A uh, character from SCTV, also known as the Incredible Bulk. Send in Mr. Bigsby, please.
1: Yes, Doctor. Mr. Bigsby.
0: So there's not a lot of uh, audio gold uh, for a, a podcast to use as far as clips because this was John Candy. Physical comedy at its best. Uh, As The Incredible Bulk, he destroys The Office uh, after being calmed down by Andrea Martin, who plays the therapist, and and then she tries to get to the root of the problem as John Candy as The Incredible Bulk. And and keep in mind, he is like giant green with ripped clothes, so he is starting to act out his frustrations like a game of charades. He's carrying a briefcase to show her he goes to work, uh, talking to people at The Office, mixing together a bunch of, chemicals if you know the Incredible Hulk story and a bunch of different sources and then he drinks it and then he convulses and turns into the Incredible Bulk. Pants ripped, he's green, etc. Obviously angry. Sits down and then Andrea Martin gives him her diagnosis
1: you were a briefcase repairman
0: and one day you began to feel very depressed about your unresolved adolescent sexual tensions so you went home you made yourself a very dry martini and uh somehow you got hold of a rotten olive in
1: rotten,
0: rotten <laughs> olive uh, that's john candy uh just it's just so funny and you just see his gestures so uh anyway the incredible bulk throws the doctor out the window uh the secretary buzzing the doctor he grunts into the intercom and they send in the next patient and in comes a raving purple woman uh like the uh the incredible bulk version of woman but she's purple i think it was Catherine o'hara if i'm wrong uh, please let me know uh, tweet me at duckmallart but anyway they fall in love instantly But then John Candy uh, starts having convulsions, runs behind the desk, and then turns into Dave Thomas because Incredible Bulk wore off and he's normal. Uh, The raving purple woman does not like this and throw Dave Thomas, he gets thrown out the window. So it was a really good physical comedy from John Candy in another great John Candy character, The Incredible Bulk from SCTV. Sports and more podcast with Dean Millard. If I
1: only had those two huge hands, maybe I could
0: reach you then. Maybe I could touch you again. If I had two huge hands. we are speaking with uh, Bob Stoffer, of course, of the Oilers Radio Network. You can hear him. Monday to Friday, noon until 2 on 6.30, Chad, for Oilers Now. And he, of course, is the color analyst for the Edmonton Oilers. And where I wanted to go now is kind of your career. And the one thing I love about listening to you and why I I was a fan of you is you're a good storyteller. And Some days. (laughs) uh, You're going to tell a story in a second about me, but... Um, one thing you, you talked a lot about and, 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 you know, people, I think probably bug you a little bit is the tree planting yeah, stories, but yeah. you know what I loved about the tree planting stories, Bob, they happen when they happen. The greatest dynasty in how long in the NHL and, and the dynasty of, of the Oilers, That's when those tree planting stories took place. So I think, you know, you're very lucky to be in, in this area when that happened. I love those stories. And, and I think it's an interesting background that, you know, you, you weren't just, uh, you know, Hey, I'm going to be a radio star. You worked hard to get to where you are. But the thing I loved about the tree planting stories is they occurred during the dynasty days. Well,
1: you know what team, the tree planting paid for me to do golden bears broadcast during the season. Okay. So uh, the first year I went up was in 1986, and I let, I went up the day after the orders were eliminated by the flames. Steve Smith. And I remember thinking, uh, so we arrived in the camp and we we're up near high level, and uh, the foreman. Which is where my wife grew up, by the way. Really? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, uh, small world. Yeah. And we, we're up near high level, and the foreman says on the first day, he looks at me, and I was, I'm not kidding you, I was 5'11 and probably 100. 83, 84 pounds and maybe like I was absolutely chiseled mm-hmm. and he goes, you can be a big, strong kid like that. And he looked at it, we had a couple of women in our camp and he goes, but there's a chance she's going to be better than him. And cause you don't know, you can never, right. uh, you can never uh, estimate somebody's will and desire to be successful at this job. And I was really crappy at it for about the first month and then started to pick it up and uh, eventually. You know, like I can tell you where, like in '87, we were in Clearwater when the Otters won the Stanley Cup. May 31st, it's Darrell Cates' birthday, right? Mm -hmm. I've actually, uh, I can't even tell a story about what happened that night, but (laughs) I I, I will tell you that we were, we had a whole, uh, we watched game seven at a bar in Clearwater, BC, and uh, in 1987, and that was the year the Otters went seven against the Flyers. And the all whole, was the cons might, yeah. And the whole Yeah, you're a guy. And the whole bar was cheering for the Flyers except our crew. Really? Oh, yeah. I guess you're in B.C., so they, they just hated. The they, oil, they already right? hated yeah, yeah, the yeah. Oilers by yeah. there. You know, I can remember uh, in 1990, um, you know, when you're in their towns and in their bars, you're not really supposed to be getting scraps. And I remember in 1990, <laughs> again, same deal. We're in Wells, B.C., uh, which is basically – an hour straight east of Quinell, So it's in the middle of nowhere. It's where they just dis- it's where Barkerville was. Uh where so they discovered gold there back in the late eighteen hundreds. And long story short, same situation, you know, guys wanting to pick fights after Peter Klemus scores and uh in overtime and that kind of thing. And uh, in game one of the series, and it uh, just then that was the last Oilers championship was in 1990. But I did it for a long time, and I did it so I could afford to 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 go to university, but also to do play by play the Alberta Golden Bears. So that's part of the And I'll be honest, at times, you know, it became cyclical, and it almost becomes like a sickness because you knew you could make fourteen to twenty thousand dollars in three months. That's hard to pass up, right? And and so I did it for a long time. And when I first started, it was, you know, we had two girls in her camp uh, one of whom was older than me and I ended up dating for a couple of years but you know and when I finished they were 50 50 camps and there was like 25 guys and 25 girls and I will t- so I started in 86 and finished in 98 and I will tell you that in by 98 the girls were tougher than the boys. Like I'd seen the change occur. Mm-hmm. I'd seen a generation of girls that had been, their parents had really empowered them. And they were they were hard-nosed and they, they hey, they wanted to be highballers too. That's the term for the people that plant the most. So it, it did leave an indelible impression on my mind. I mean, absolutely. And there are different types of people. Like, you know, obviously pot use was fairly rampant up there. Of course, yeah. But I hate cigarette smoke. Like I just, I can't, like I just can't. Mm-hmm. But so I drank. You know, like that was kind of the thing. Like, you know, I, uh, and while I was a farmer in the last five years, I get pulled over on the highway doing, 150 kilometers an hour, right, Ouch. at at 8:30 in the morning, and my crew would be freaking because they all had weed in their in their bags, and little did they realize that I had a Bailey's and coffee going at, at the thermos at uh, at seven fifty in the morning but we usually talk to our the situation. So a lot of stupid things, but when you do a job like that, it makes you appreciate the opportunity. To, like if you had told me back in uh, 1997 or 1998 that I'd be on a flight with an NHL team on a chartered flight. You wouldn't have believed it. Or at 57 first class retrofitted seats. Um, you know, uh, the NHL stands for what? The Never Hungry League. I mean, <laughs> and it, it really is privileged. It's, you know, you're, you're as depressing as it it. I don't want to use the word depressing, but as challenging as it's been, mm-hmm. when the team's clearly not going to make the playoffs in a year, and you know you're coming off a road trip where maybe the Oilers have gone one and one, three and one in the road trip, and they're out of the playoff hunt, and we've played back to back games on a Tuesday in Columbus and a Wednesday in St. Louis, and we're flying home from St. Louis, and we get home at two fifteen in the morning, and I know there's a show on the Thursday at noon. And I got to be the guy there to do that show because I got to deal with the frustration and the exasperation of the fans. Like, in my mind, that's part of what comes with the territory. So I just remember back there's lots, there's guys that work in the oil patch that aren't sure if they're going to have work and they're right. trying, to, trying to raise families. There's guys that are good broadcasters that aren't working full time. And so I, I I just remember back to how badly I wanted it when I was working up north, right? And, and so that's part of where it comes. And I mean, there was stupid, goofy stuff. And I mean, these people were. For the most part, really socially liberal. Okay. Okay, Yeah. Like really socially liberal, (laughs) right? So, uh, actually, the first year I went up, there was a lot of a lot of Alberta guys, but a lot of the years it was it was like you know a bit of a hippie commune. But I was there to make money. Yeah. I was there to pound trees.
0: Well, it's interesting. And you're making money, and
1: uh, but you want to get into broadcasting.
0: So you're leaving a situation where you're making a lot of money and getting into an industry that we discussed before doesn't pay a lot. You're doing Golden Bears games yeah. and you end up at the U of A. So before we get to that, you can tell your story about me now.
1: Oh, well, it is. It's a funny one because actually I worked at ITV in 1988. Okay, and the guy that got me the job, his name was Harold Rusin, and Harold Rusin, I jokingly refer to at Edmonton as the Kaiser Soze of Edmonton money. Totally. Okay, and uh, so Harold uh, was married to Kathy Rusin, and uh, Harold was the uh, eventually became the president of WIC, Western International Communications. They wrestled control away from the Griffiths family who owned the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, so he got me the gig in '88 during the Olympics. He got me another gig there in the summer of '89. I worked with Darren Detitian in '89, '90 during that school year, making like Dean. I was making like six dollars or seven dollars an hour, right? Yeah. Shot listing. Anyways, years later, um, I which was it? Joffrey's tournament? Which tournament was it? Was a twelve sixty tournament? Which tournament was it? It I don't know. Was
0: that Blackhawk? But I don't remember. I
1: think it was Joff's tournament. Might have been then. Yeah. Okay. So long story short, I. Through my show, uh and I don't even think I, uh, I'm not, anyways, long, we ended up in a golf foursome, and I didn't tell Dean who was in the foursome, and so what I do is when I go, because I'm a terrible golfer, like, you're a pretty good golfer. I'm not anymore, no. I'm a terrible yeah. golfer, okay? And, but if you want to have a couple of Baileys and coffee early in the morning, you're the guy I'm your guy, yeah. right? And my deal is I drink in the first nine, and then don't drink in the next nine holes, right? Just drink water the rest of the day, and... Um, so I had two guys there, a guy named Phil Shuchuk, who was kind of, he was my next door neighbor when I was 19, 20. He was kind of a mentor. He's the one that introduced me to Rusin. and and then Harold Rusin. And Harold had left TV after Wick was sold to the Aspers, yep. and, right? And uh, their timing was very good. They maximized <laughs> yeah. like most of their business. And he'd started a company called CCI Thermal at that stage. And Phil had gone to work as his uh, labor negotiator. So Phil had, he used to work with them. So- we flipped uh, who was going to sit with who, and at one point, uh, Dean ever modest says, "You are, hey, I'm on." Uh, and I just, I just recall a conversation. Uh, you asked Harold. You said, "So, uh, Harold, uh, what do you do?" He goes, "Well, I'm in, now I'm in infrared te- technologies." And Harold goes, "Well, what do you do, Dean?" And you said. What did you say? You yeah, said? I said, I work at uh, Global. Uh, I'm a, a sports anchor. And uh, and then Harold said, well, I used to be in TV. And okay. what did you say? I said, oh, were you a camera guy? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, no. No, no. I hired the camera guy. <laughs> he goes, oh. <laughs> I was the I was the president yeah. of Wick.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I, I was. But the, he's so unassuming that you would not, yeah. listen. The, the The richest people don't have to tell, don't have to show off how right. rich they are, and he is
1: very unassuming. Kaiser Sosa is a great uh, money day talks, for him. wealth whispers, right? That's and, right. Yeah, and you know what? He was on the EIG, but and,
0: he didn't make me feel like an idiot for saying oh, that. No, and no. We had a good laugh, I'm like yeah. that's the thing. Like some guys might be offended that you don't uh, know who they are.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Money talks, wealth whispers. Um, um, they won every deal that they ever made along the way. They used to own the orders when Dr. Allard on the team in the WHA days. Um, and Kathy was the first female MBA grad from the University of Alberta, so she's a brilliant woman. And uh, Harold ended up selling CCI Thermal about two years ago for two hundred fifty-three million dollars. So good investment, t- yeah, yeah. <laughs> t- tidy little pickup. But uh, it, it was I. I still laugh. I, t- I, I go for lunch probably twice a year with Harold and uh, and Phil. And, uh, you know, the, Harold was on the Eskimo board for a number of years. He was also uh, with the Edmonton Investors Group. I know he sees Daryl Cates down in Palm Desert during the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, during the winter. And uh, real bright guy. Yeah, he was, he was a really nice guy. And Phil was a fun
0: guy to Phil's hang out Phil, with that Phil was always him. a crazy guy. So uh, let's get back to your career now. So you you're doing the U of A games, and then you end up uh, working at, at sports information. Yeah. And and the first contact I had with you was you calling me at Global to say, the Kodiaks aren't the Bears. The Golden Bears are the Bears. And I didn't know who you are, so I asked Johnny and KK over at Global, yeah. and they're like, Oh, it's Bob, because you know yeah. you 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 have a great relationship with John. But your passion for the U of A, I'll never
1: apologize for. That's
0: that. That, and you, nor should
1: you. Yeah. We, uh, you know, I, what I wanted to do, you know, at that time, you guys still had the, the half-hour show. And so you did 22 mm-hmm. minutes of sports each night. We had to be on that show, you know. And uh, with the university, you know, I did the games 89 and 92 for the U of A and then started doing the games again in 98, 99, uh, and then 99, 2000. And I remember um, basically they came, uh, got business guy named Dean Hingle said, we're looking at making a change with our SID position. Uh, we know you can write because I was writing like in sports scene, and I was doing. Uh, I they're like, if you can sell Golden Bears on campus radio, you know, come help us out. Now the one thing is that was right at the start of uh, websites. Okay. So the but there you know I love I love the university, and I was still working behind the scenes with Molestar. John Sexsmith and got me that back in '96 when he went uh, full time with Global. And, or I guess back then, ITV. And yeah, because it was, two, I think, 2000, 2000 and around there was when they switched over. Um, so, you know, I became the sports info guy and the broadcast director for the team. And my philosophy was I needed to integrate other guys, and because uh, I believe in sharing, unlike this podcast where it's been way too much me. <laughs> but uh, no, like, I, and so we, Initially, I asked John if he wanted to be involved in the football, and he just for personal reasons he didn't at that time. Then we brought in KK, you know Kevin Carries, to do some football with us, and then we eventually brought you in to do uh, hockey in about o three o four. Uh, I know you went to Fredericton with us that year, and you quickly
0: crazy story Bears losing overtime dad with his eight-year-old son and and they had us positioned right in the crowd so that was our broadcast booth turns around gives us the double fingers I can say it on here but I'm not gonna say it yeah. bleep you go the bleep home Alberta yeah they did not like us you know or what?
1: Uh, you know Albertans in general I would well, letters lost game seven Anaheim uh the game five loss second toughest loss was that of day? my broadcast career. the toughest was watching the Bears were undefeated that That's year right. 04. You know, they were 39 0 2 going in a lot game. And the guy in net is Dustin Schwartz, Dustin now, Schwartz now, the yeah. goaltender. And he had a tough game. Like he says, I only gave up three bad ones. I'm hard on goalies. I'm like, you Dust- are, yeah. <laughs> Dustin, you gave up four. I'll say two. Okay. You'll <laughs> say two because you're, but Alberta won the next two years. That's right, yep. And, no, we, you know, I had to sell story ideas. You guys were, you know, global because you had the extra, you know, you had the, the, the longer sports. You had the time to do it. You guys had the time. Uh, back then there was still the Edmonton Sun, the Edmonton Journal, like they still did U of A coverage. And so we had to hustle. But then it also helped my writing skills because I did so much writing on uh, the U of A website. And it was funny because I, I had a hit counter for stories. And about two years in, one of the uh, women's teams said, "Like this, you know, take the hit counter off." And I knew exactly why she didn't want the hit counter on there because you know every Golden Bears hockey story had five thousand, right? Uh, right. But anyways, uh, now it'd be much closer just because you know. And we treated each team equally. We went alphabetically by sport, conference, and then non-conference, so nobody could say we you put football in the fall mm-hmm. at the top and men's hockey no, we, we listed and we, you know, we wrote the same amount for all the women's teams as we did for the men's teams. They knew it when I left, like they knew that this was as good. And the other thing is Dean, where were they going to get a guy who, you know, cause I started doing the radio show in O2, but really in 0 where were they going to get a guy that would talk about their product on the air as much as I did. Right. Cause I did in the, the two in the drive, in the drive for you know, five years, yeah. for five years, you know, so, uh, and and I got a bit of that from John Short. You know, I mentioned listening to Wes and listening to Rod and Brian, but also to John. And John, I remember one day John had Wayne Gretzky on after a game. Then he had Warren Moon on, <laughs> and then he had wow. Don Horwood. Wow. Okay. And I was like, and and he treated all three guys the same way, and it was a great lesson. So, but I, I'll never. I love the U of A. I still, I've hey on my index card. I have the U of A's lines for the upcoming season. I'm still on the top ten committee. I see about four games a year. They have a great program. But you
0: watch games online when you're on the road. Yeah, you
1: know, and I'll text Dustin, and he's calling the games. Yeah, you know, I it will will be Friday night in New York. It's like I'm going to tell you right now. We're the second week of the year. We're in New York, and we got Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. I know Friday night. I'm going to be watching the Bears online. There you go. Because I I care about the team. Uh, I care about the Oil Kings too. Like we own the Oil Kings in Bakersfield. But the U of A, a little—it's a little bit different because, you know what, at the end of the day, those guys are gauged by one thing, whether or not they win. And it was, you know, that was you before you really blew up. You went into talk
0: radio and yeah. had a lot of success and, you know, people might not realize that you were not an employee at that time. The, the radio station was team 1260 yeah. and the only employees were Bryn and Jake I, in the morning. Everybody else that wanted to do a show, like we ended up doing the pipeline show, we would buy the airtime and you turned that into a tremendous amount of success and it's led you to now, working for the team that you were watching in Clearwater, BC in game seven. You're working for the team you grew up idolizing, it's your childhood favorite team. Yeah. It's been amazing. So, um, you know, like you said before, you're like, yeah, you know, I, I got
1: lucky too. Like, that's the, the, like, you know what? It doesn't matter if it, we're talking about a player. I mean, okay, so the 1%, Conor McDavid, he didn't get lucky. He's just that damn good. Right. The owners got lucky with Leon Drysettle. Okay. They got lucky. They didn't think he'd ever score 50 goals and have 100 points yeah. in a season. Maybe
0: thought they'd get like a 70 assist season or right. something when they first you know. Drafted
1: and, him. And, and, I, and I was mentioning Yakupov and Pulley before. That's where I was going to go. You know, the fans. Yeah. Oh, you guys. You know, you stagnated their development. Well, do you give them credit for what happened with Leon? Because I personally disagreed mm-hmm. with sending Leon down to the minors when we did at the start mm. of at the start of the 15 16 season. Because okay. to me, he was the second or third best player in training camp, and he should have been on the hockey team at that time. And if not for injury, he wouldn't have come up as quickly as he did. But you got to get lucky in life. Like, you know, um, Bryn believed, you know, and John Sexmith helped with Bryn, but Bryn believed I could host a show. And then, uh, you know, I remember Marty Forbes saying I was like the sixth round. You mentioned uh, Hawk and Anderson. And he was, he was like the sixth round draft choice that nobody knew about that delivered for us. And, um, you know, and and, and, you, and it was relentless drive, but it was also a degree of luck, Absolutely. Even in terms of the opportunity with the Oilers, I mean, I, I knew the Nichols family quite well. Uh, I met Daryl Cates in 2007. He told me what his vision was. And I was like, that's not the vision of the Edmonton Investors Group. Like, this, you know, what's the solution? We have to get an arena. And I was, you know, in my late 30s, early 40s, and I was thinking to myself, this guy is going to step up and build us the rink. And oh, by the way, if he has to, because we used to talk about this all the time, I wanted the team to blow it up and rebuild, and they didn't want to, so they kept drafting between seven and fifteen. Yeah. And you don't get the players that you do at the top, right? Kelly
0: McCurman told me the other day he was on our first episode. You're either going for it or you're rebuilding. Yeah, 100%. Being stuck in the middle is purgatory, and that's
1: where the orders were for years. Yeah. And they were part, eighth, ninth, seventh, and part of it was fine, just purely finances, right? You know, sure. uh, like. I want to push for Cal Nichols to get in the Hockey Hall of Fame, but make no mistake: the city needed Daryl Gates to come in because he was going to build the arena. And for all the naysayers out there, initially, here the 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 whole district has helped salvage Edmonton's business community during some very difficult times because nobody thought it was going to be this bad, and it's gotten this bad. So you know, but personally, I got a little bit lucky. People say, well, and and I and I'm going to say this right now. I know a few people that have money, okay? They never want to be lied to. Don't ever think that there's you're, you're sitting there and right. you're telling them what they want to hear. No, you tell them the truth, and that's good, bad, or indifferent. So if you don't have a strong feeling one way or another, you stay out of it. But, it, you know, and if you really believe in something, like I really believed in Ryan Nugent Hopkins as a pick in mm-hmm. 2011, and I really believed in Leon Settle in 2014. I shared that with everybody from top to bottom in the organization. Okay. Well, the one thing you're not is a yes man. No. And like if I'm you a- listen to our broadcasts, there is a different tone on our broad. Like when we're not playing bad, you- I don't sit there and sugarcoat it. And we have to have transparency on the show, which is why I read the negative text directed to me. I don't want ever, right. I don't yeah. ever want. And the other thing is, you know what? Then people, you mentioned it on Twitter, then people stick up for you as well. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, when you do work for a club, like you talked about Twitter. I never engage negatively with people, especially other media guys. Like, it's just, you can't win playing that game. It just looks bad. You know what? Uh, Do you watch uh, Game of Thrones? I did, yeah. Okay. Do you remember at the end of, uh, was it season seven, when they went out to go get one of the White Walkers, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're all sitting there, and uh, the Hound or whatever is in prison, and... Uh, Barrick was sitting there in the in prison, and you know, and Jon Snow's there, and they all hate each other because they've all crossed paths. And he talks about the fact that you know we're all in this thing together because we're all above ground. And you know what, Dean? When you get into your fifties, you realize that having little disputes and little territory—screw that shit. It doesn't matter, man. Like you, you're you seriously. It's whether or not you're above ground at this stage. So you find like you know. I, I put it this way: West Montgomery gave me a lot of time and a lot of advice. Brian Hall was a lot more distant with me when I was younger, right? I see Brian now; we just laugh, right? Like you can't you can't harbor, oh, you could have done this for me I, that one time. You didn't go to like whatever it it right? And see, so you, you just sort of have fun with it, right? And but luck plays a factor in everything. And any guy that's working in hockey that's not one of the one percent, like Connor's a one percent guy. Mm-hmm. Every third, you don't think Craig McTavish doesn't think that he was lucky. Like Guys did not see him as a major junior player, and he ended up getting an opportunity in college and became an NHL player. He'd be the first to tell you at 15, 16, he didn't think he was going to be in the NHL. I can tell you when I was 15, I thought I had a chance. Mm-hmm. And by 18, I knew, yeah, I got a chance as a broadcaster. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because exactly. I lacked the speed, talent, agility, coordination, toughness, character, and discipline <laughs> to play in the NHL. But yet you have passion, uh, you have
0: knowledge, uh, you know, you know, we, we, back in the day, we, you know, Encyclopedia Bob was, uh, one of your nicknames cause you have so much knowledge and now the people listening, the kids are like, what the hell's an encyclopedia? I
1: just have my smartphone. Yeah. Like you, you grew up with probably we, the encyclopedias you,
0: at home, right? You, you know? mentioned
1: Mo sports parlor. We used to play a game, uh, called stump the Yeah on trivia and guys would sit there and we'd play for drinks. I lost a lot more than I won. That's all I'm going to. But, but you got the knowledge no, and the no, passion I, 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 and the drive. Oh, oh yeah. no, and, and, and you need that
0: to be and, long-term success in broadcasting because this business can grind you out. Oh, like yeah. It can, it can
1: yeah. wear you down. Oh, yeah. No, there's, and you got to have luck, right? Like, here, here's an example. So why is Jim Matheson and Rod Phillips and Terry Jones in the Hall of Fame? Because they covered Hall of Fame teams. Uh huh. They're good at what they did, no question, They'll be the all three of those guys would be the first to admit to that. They'd yeah. say, you know what, like Rod did thirty seven years. It was for me to do his final two years. It was it was awesome, incredible. And I was very protective of him. And so if somebody made a snide little remark behind his back, you know there would be a confrontation. But um, I, I will I will tell you that those guys recognized that they got to cover probably the most electrifying team in NHL history. The M.S. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. So was this. This has been a lot of fun, yeah. Bob.
0: Thanks so much for coming out to uh, Podcast Alley. Uh, I can't wait to uh, tune in. Uh, I'll, as I'll, we, as I'll give we you a plug. Get... Uh, yeah, we'll be giving you a plug. Oh, here, well, I appreciate What that, day is it going to go? What day are you going to post? Monday. It? This will all okay. be out on uh, Monday. So well. I appreciate the time and I really appreciate how... You gave me a bit of a, a boost in getting into radio, and uh, I eventually got into radio full-time. So uh,
1: you were uh, a big help in my career. More, might be more money long-term in podcasts, and uh, Dean, anytime you're stuck and can't get anybody any better, <laughs> feel free to give me a call. It's the Harry Neal line. It's like one of the first shows I ever did, I had Harry Neal on, and I'm like, oh, I got Harry Neal on, right? Like, that's a pretty good get, right? And he goes, well, Bob, anytime you're stuck and can't get anybody better, you just call me. So, Dean, uh, there you go. Thanks a lot, Bob. Cheers, mate. Oh, that's hot. <laughs> That's hot. What's hot right now? Hansel. So hot right now. Hansel.
0: Let's explore and cool of the week. Very well. Where do I begin? So, cool of the week is uh, something that uh, hopefully will be hot uh, with some nice weather. Uh, Talking beach volleyball at Northlands Park this weekend for the $150,000 Edmonton Open as part of the FIVB World Tour. 1,500 tons of sand being dumped into the former horse track where there will be beach volleyball action. On the women's side, Canada will be well represented. Sarah Pavin, Melissa Humana paradise are world champions. They've booked their ticket to the 2020 Tokyo Summer Games. So they'll be, they are the number one seed in the world. Uh, the Alberta Golden Bears will be represented. Uh, star Ben Saxton and his partner Grant Orgorman are on the men's side. They're looking to get their spot in Tokyo. 90 teams, 25 countries qualifying on Wednesday, Thursday. Pool play Friday, medal round Saturday, finals Sunday. Qualifying is free tickets required for Friday Saturday and Sunday and uh, this is awesome I love regular volleyball but beach volleyball uh, where the real athleticism comes in and you got to cover that court uh, should be some great action so hopefully the weather cooperates and uh, we can all enjoy a little beach volleyball uh, where the horses used to run at Northlands Park that is cool of the week This long and dark, white. This is the Sports and More Podcast with Dean Millard.
1: Self a solitary night. But I got time.
0: figure out where I am. Why you And I'm drinking. Awesome stuff from uh, Sweet Bejesus. Uh, I Got Time uh, from their Policeman's Creek album. You can get that on Apple Music. Finally, we wrap up with the obscenely rich list, and this is just stuff that I would do if I was obscenely rich. Uh, I've talked about opening an all-Western movie theater, just because I love Westerns and I can go, and i got a bunch of ideas. Uh, This is based off my dad and I, and my mom uh, a lot of times too, traveling together and trying to pass the time with what we would do if we won the lottery. So if I become obscenely rich, I am going to watch or play a sport on every continent In a one-month span asia africa north america south america antarctica europe and australia and you're obviously going to plan it around uh, the different events and like i said watch or play because i don't think there's a whole lot of sporting events you can watch in antarctica but if you bundle up you might be able to have a hell of a street hockey game in antarctica so i think i'd definitely be doing that uh, obviously, uh, there's uh, North American, South American sports. Um, in, in Europe, it's endless. So you know, you could plan it around uh, the British Open, maybe. Uh, you could plan it around a World Cup, if that's going on, or a Champions League, whatever. Uh, there is so much to do. And I think, obviously, in Australia, I'd definitely be wanting to uh, uh, get in the, uh, the, the haka going and things like that. So that's what I would do if I was uh, obscenely rich. I would be... Uh, watching or playing a sport on every continent in a one-month span. And tell me what you would do if you were obscenely rich. What's on your lottery list? Uh, shoot me a text at Duck Millard or shoot me a tweet at Duck Millard. And that's going to wrap things up for us on Episode 9 of Sports and More. Really, really thank you. A big thank you goes out to Bob Stoffer for spending uh, a portion of his Saturday with me. Uh, check him out, uh, if you haven't already, uh, noon till 2 on 6.30 Chad Oilers now. And of course, when the Oilers fire back up, he will be the color analyst on the Oilers Radio Network, hoping for a better season. Thanks so much for joining us. Enjoy your week. Hopefully it's sunny wherever you are. Playtime is over. Then the snow came down. I smiled you. You're on your own, man I said, let's bust out the skates Sticks, took skis,
1: boots, toboggans You told me I'm downtrodden I'll be in my room All gloom and doom
0: Just because the snow came. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. The day before the snow came.